You are now turned into the dopest college radio station. UCM the beat. Keep it locked. U C M the beat. You were listening to the Smoke Signals podcast on the beat. Today we have Dr. Fuller from the UCM Counseling Center. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me here with you guys. Well, thank you for coming. Now, how about you tell us a little bit about who you are, what do you do, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, My name is Dr. Melissa Fuller. I'm one of the clinicians um, at the Counseling Center here on campus at UCM. Um, We are located in the Humphreys Building, and we have an opportunity, uh, my colleagues and I, to work with other um, with the UCM students and the population here on campus doing outreach and individual therapy, um, group sessions, anxiety, um, just different things. We really try to offer a broad gamut of, of opportunities for students to come in and get some mental health services if they need it. Um, you know, we just kind of go from there. We have a, a really great um, LGBTQ plus um, outreach um, group that's been running for eight years now, and um, we really just try to, to reach all uh, facets of the the campus that we can. Yeah. Now, how do people get involved with this? How do people, like, if they're having issues, how can they, like, message you or something, or what do they do? Sure. So one way that they can find out about our services is online um, at the UCM, like, website. Just type in, like, Counseling Center, um, ucmo.edu um, backslash cc um, is a really good way to, to get to our services. Um, you can call us. We do have um, 660-543-4060. Um, our office professional is fantastic, Stephanie, and she can get them set up with an appointment. Um, individuals who are in immediate crisis can come in and do walk-in appointments if necessary, if needed, um, at any point, um, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Um, we are closed from 12 to 1 during the lunch hour, so we don't encourage students to come by at that time. But if they get there before that time, and they can be seen through the lunch hour if, if necessary. But, um, yeah, it's a, a pretty simple process. Um, right now we're doing a lot of Zoom. Um, the majority of our sessions are Zoom um, to kind of allow students to have counseling sessions from the comfort of their couches or um, their dorms. And uh, everything's done through email and, you know, paperwork and the Zoom links and all that stuff. So Now, why did you choose to do this for, like, your profession? Um, well, I didn't start out being a counselor. Um, I was actually an educator um, for almost 10 years in the state of Texas. And then I um, came across some some students. And, you know, to be honest, I'm just going to throw this out there. I just didn't want to screw them up because, you know, when we're kids and we go to teachers for advice and things like that, I just didn't want to tell them the wrong thing. So I went back to school, got my master's and thought, oh, I'll, I'll go into counseling and do something along those lines for for students who were like disadvantaged or struggling juvenile um, offenders or something along those lines and uh, when I burned out from teaching and coaching and in the middle of doing my internship I had a a great opportunity offered to me and I just took a huge leap of faith and changed careers Um, about I don't know maybe I was 30 32 somewhere around there and went from there. Now did you always start for like college for college counseling, or did you do, like, high school counseling first? Um, actually, I worked for a nonprofit um, for uh, children who had experienced some violent crimes, um, trauma, a lot of trauma. 
Um, that's really where I, I feel like my niche is. Um, and I've done nonprofit, I've done private practice, I've done community health, um, all sorts of things. I've worked in schools with students and, and educators trying to get them on the same page. Um, I never actually foresaw myself working at a college counseling center, um, but opportunities happen and, and jobs happen. This is where my family ended up coming and my spouse works here at the university. So um, that's a, a pretty cool thing. So it's a, a family affair coming to work every day. But Now, how common is it for like, a college college student to like experience some kind of depression or some kind of anxiety like that yeah um actually depression and anxiety are probably the most common um that we hear about in 2019 the american college health association national college um did a survey and 66 percent of reported college students that were surveyed um felt that they were feeling characteristics of anxiety anxiety and depression go hand in hand a lot of times um those are kind of very cyclical in um in terms of how processing happens and if we get overwhelmed and stressed and anxious then we potentially can tend to shut down and that sort of thing and then that causes some depressive symptoms um we try to stay away from diagnosing like at the counseling center we don't diagnose um, we just talk about like characteristics of what you're experiencing um, but anxiety is, is probably one of the most prevalent reported um, and then depression um, among college students is second and then relationship problems from um, various resources that I pulled at the National Institute for Mental Health um, like I said the American College Health Association um, relationship problems comes in at number th three um, but it, it's not uncommon at all um, the the biggest piece of what we find with anxiety or what I've experienced and in, in what I read in researching for this podcast because I was a little nervous on not wanting to mess things up here um, what is that the the anxiety increases really brought on a lot of times for college students that the onset of transition to college so you start out with your high school or your your family and you've got a good support generally uh, a lot of students go to the same high school the same junior high same group of friends you know you have the same hometown experience type thing and then you go to college and you don't know a lot of people um, a lot of times your best friends aren't at the same college with you and then you have to experience um, adult choices you know make responsible decisions your yeah. parents aren't there to to help you out or or that sort of thing and then you um, add that in with the sleep disruption because oh, I'm on my own for the first time in my life and I can I don't have a bedtime or I can stay up and you know this grandiose idea of what it looks like to go to college right based on all the movies and and TV shows that we see um, so our sleep patterns get really dis disrupted and then you throw in drinking and the opportunity for alcohol and you know marijuana use or um, other substances and then you have an increase in caffeine um, you sprinkle in a little social isolation because you don't have the friends or the family or the social support that you d did have at one point in time. Um, and it really creates this, this cycle that just kind of perpetuates itself um, and can cause a lot of trouble for students if they don't know about our resources or they don't know who to reach out to. Yeah. Now, you talk about, like, when you first get here, you don't know anyone, you, and that can cause some some things. Now, this... Like, groups like joining, like, an intramural thing or even joining, like, a fraternity or sorority or something, do you think that that can help people, or what's your opinion on that kind of thing? Oh, absolutely. Like, we, we encourage social interactions, um, fraternities, sororities, intramural groups, um, 
if you have declared a major, like if you're a business major and the business majors have an association or a club or something, um, if you're a PE major and, you know, the PE club or, you know, whatever it is, or wherever you can find a place to connect yourself, um, if you are a diverse student, you know, going to the multicultural center and that sort of thing, finding a place for for you to kind of um, find like-minded students or individuals that you can begin to create a social network is fantastic. Um, you know, fraternities and sororities or any types of groups, you, you're looking at, you know, building your leadership skills. You, it helps alleviate stress when you interact with your peers. Um, having individuals that you can study with or that can you can bounce ideas off of or really just commiserate and, like, oh, this is such a stressful time, like midterms or finals or... I'm having a hard time, like, going home at Christmas and then coming back. You know, I miss my family or being homesick or, like, even those students who don't want to go back um, and see their families at breaks and, and things like that. Um, but equally, there are, you know, being a part of those groups could be problematic for some students who are overly trying to fit it in or overly trying to, to find a place. Um, you know, you've got the drinking and, and you're trying to, to do whatever it takes to kind of fit in so yeah. you – um, you know, there could be some not-so-positive advantages as well. Yeah, now, when you kind of look at the different numbers and stuff, there was some kind of studies out about, like, this year and how in, like, your experiences through this year, has that number gone up with, like, with COVID-19 and stuff? Um, you know, we've seen a lot of studies um, through the National Institute of Mental Health, the JED Foundation, um, the American College Health Association, N National College's health assessments and, and things. And, and for sure, there is a reported increase in depression and anxiety. And a lot of that, from what I've, I've read, has um, really come in from the social isolation piece, um, not being around people, the, diff the change in the college experience, um, not having people that can understand what that looks like, not really understanding um, what coping skills are necessary in order to, you know, move past this, the restlessness of, so, you know, being socially isolated, especially if you are quarantined and, and those sort of things. You know, we started a and i group um, at the counseling center on lunch two days a week um, between 1 and 1.30, and surprisingly, we haven't really had a lot of students participate in that, but it was just an opportunity that we thought maybe this would be a good place for students to kind of connect if they've had, you know, if they've been quarantined or if they are quarantining or to ask questions or to get resources so they don't feel so alone. Um, but there's definitely, I mean, COVID-19, I feel like, has impacted um, the college experience, the college-age students. Um, and the, the highest rate of reported depression and anxiety is between the age of 18 and 24 so um now this kind of going to be a two-parter kind of question because if you look at some some kind of stats i don't have it with me anymore but you kind of look at our my kind of my generation and the depression <laughs> rates kind of go up with my generation now why do you think that is oh i feel like that's a, a little bit of a loaded question um it, it could be one of of any thing it could be environmental factors it could be um the increase in our reliability on social media and just being connected that way um which also limits our in-person human interactions and then you throw COVID into the mix and that 
limited our in-person human interactions even more. Um, It could be lack of coping skills. Um, It could just be um, a difficulty in uh, transitioning to different life stages. It can be helicopter parenting, um, you know, where parents try to fix everything. I'm a a mom of a three-year-old and I'm already preparing myself for the moments of not (laughs) trying to do that um, because you want to fix it for your kids, right? Um, But it it really, I don't think it's any one thing. I think it's a multitude of things. And if you just have the right mix, I mean, it could be genetics. Um, You know, that that plays a part as well. So um, it can be any number of things. What we really have to do is, since there is an increase in this age, um, for depression and anxiety is just to continue to get the word out that you're not alone. There are resources out there. It's okay if you have a question. It's okay if you're struggling. Um, and just to normalize it, just to continue to say, this is okay. This is an average human experience. Maybe this is a phase in your life. Maybe it's going to be an ongoing thing. But even if it's ongoing, that's okay too. Like there are ways that we can help with this out there. Um, for, for mental health professionals willing to, to step up and, and do that. That's our job. Um, just to encouraging peers to help each other. So Yeah, that's one thing that, I, that I've thought for a while is because I'd say not quite my generation, but more more back people, people born in the 90s and stuff, they're more born in kind of the generation where like people know about it it's just not quite talked about and that's one thing that we need to get out more is that we need to talk about it we need to actually accept that it is a thing and see how we can help people with that absolutely i would say that you know it's a a generational thing that goes way back even before the then before the 90s um for sure but um there is a stigma attached to it and it's it's hard It's, it's been viewed as a sign of weakness or you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps get it together figure it out like you don't have a hard life and there's this idea of comparison that your life isn't hard um and you know this kid's life is hard so like there shouldn't be a problem you shouldn't have a problem when really the experience of depression anxiety stress um trauma any of those things are really relative to the person so it's you know mental health professionals i'm not necessarily speaking as a whole, but for myself, my experience is, you know, I try to approach it, you know, if this is yours, it's relative to you. So let's, let's figure out what the barriers are and what the problems are and how can we help you, you know, not comparing in you to anybody else. Like, okay. Um, now why does this kind of, uh, pretty broad question, but like what, what are like, why does depression happen? Like, and within people, why is it, why is it a thing? I guess. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> pretty broad, um, very much so. Um, so I'm gonna. I mean, I could try to tackle that a little bit, but um, it's a lot of it. Again, kind of goes back to what I said. It could be a multiple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, genetics. Genetics plays a huge part in that. Um, the chemicals in our brain plays a huge part in that. Um, you know, the dopamine, the neuroepinephrine, serotonin, I, I, I won't like break those things down or anything, but, um, if, if we look at just on average, just the umbrella, so depression or anxiety can take place, um, by through genetics, environmental factors, medical factors, um, the culmination of stressful events, not knowing how to handle those, suppressing those, um, 
things just building up, building up, building up until you just can't um, manage it anymore. So either people just shut down completely and then that can creates this cycle of, um, you know, once you shut down, well, now I can't do it. And then that creates anxiety because then, you know, problems build up and then, well, then I get more um, depressed or more lethargic and things because I can't see a way out. And it just, you know, those things just kind of build off of each other. Um, if you've experienced a traumatic event or, um, again, you know, the lack of, of coping strategies, I've talked about that a few times, but it's, it's been surprising, I think, um, in working with some college students that there has been a gap in that where, um, you know, the idea of creating a plan or, you know, focusing on one thing at a time, um, breaking things down, identifying barriers, um, mindfulness or exercise. Um, I cannot stress the importance of self-care and how that all works in. You know, if you, if you aren't filling your cup up, you know, when I talk about self-care, it's not anything that costs money. And for some students, that's surprising because they think, oh, like spa today or, yeah. you know, those kind of things. But, I mean, it's anything that puts a smile on your face. Like, go to Sonic and get a Route 44 during 2 to 4 happy yeah. hour for a dollar seven, and drink some bubbles, man. You know, I mean, it's just um, – it's anything that makes – you just feel good in the moment, jamming out to your favorite song or sitting on the bench and watching the squirrels chase each other around the trees in the coquad or, um, you know, it's, it's, it's anything. Self-care is so, so important. And I think it's just one of those the things that just kind of gets thrown to the wayside um, a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty easy to do. It's even just going for, going getting out of your dorm, going for a walk or something. Oh, absolutely. Just, like, it's not a very hard thing to do now this this goes on a lot and when i posted i posted this on facebook saying we were going to talk and i was asking for some questions and a lot of questions i had is like what are what are the kind of signs that people have people have and what how can you tell tell like what they're going through i guess yeah, so um, that's a great question. I'm glad that your viewers are actively engaged in that and want to know the answer to the, that. So um, in thinking of just like anxiety and depression as a whole, um, you think of about an increased um, mood irritability. Um, you kind of take it just kind of uh, uh, you can compare you know, like, oh, like a couple of weeks ago, like everything was fine. And then I've noticed over the last couple of weeks that there's been like they're, they're more moody, they're more irritable. Um, they don't have as much energy. They aren't hanging out like, you know, I'm calling my friend and they're just like, no, nah, I'm just I just don't feel up to it. Like, no, nah, I'm just going to hang out here. Um, you know, like the increased isolation, difficulty concentrating, um, the sleep disturbances. Um, we find that those get you know, your sleep cycle, it doesn't take much to get that out of a whack. Yeah. Um, your appetite um, will change. Um, a lot of times it suppresses, um, and so you're not hungry, and it's hard to eat. So then your energy, again, um, begins to fall. I mean, there's a lot of things that just create these mini cycles within the, the one thing. Um, headaches, um, your just worthlessness, feeling of worthlessness, or if you're hearing your friends talk like, man, I'm just not good enough, I just can't do this, I'm not worth anything like no but like you know those the that negative self to talk is 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 really harmful um just just those sort of of things that just restlessness having trouble just focusing concentrating being present in the moment and just 
when you see them just kind of disconnect and just slowly pull away, um, are, all of those are, are good indicators that, you know, maybe encourage them to, to go and talk to somebody or, you know, maybe you yourself, um, you know, just be a friend. A lot of times friends want to like fixes it. Oh man, like let's go do this and you'll feel yeah. so much better. Um, but a lot of times in those situations, you don't really have to do anything just to be present, just to, to be with them, you know, um, watch a movie view with them or, you know, try to go for a walk with them or encourage them to, to go out and, you know, maybe get a coffee or, you know, I'm not trying to increase your caffeine intake, but, um, you know, do any, any of those things that you used to do or are normal activities for you or your friends group. Um, but don't feel like you have to fix it. It's not your responsibility, but you can be present with them. You can just listen. Um, you can encourage them to come and see somebody. Um, I can't tell you how many times we have friends walk friends over to the counseling center um, and then wait out in the wait room, um, waiting room while they're in from you know a crisis emergency appointment. Um, and that's so encouraging to see that there there's levels of support on campus for for peers. Like a thing that happens a lot is do you have do you ever get fr- like friends email emailing you about someone saying saying they're going through something or and they just don't want to talk to anyone or something something like that is happening yeah so we um at the counseling center we have um an email address that's monitored um daily um it's not um i would say that you know, maybe like once an hour, a couple times an hour, it's it's looked at. Um, counseling Center at ucmo.edu. And, you know, students email that address um, with questions or like, hey, how can I set up an appointment? Can I set up an appointment? Or if my, you know, I'm interested in this, do you have any services for this? Um, and we will, you know, answer that. I don't know if how many times we've had students email about other students, about other friends. But generally, our response is really confidential. Like, we encourage you to, to bring them in or encourage them to call and make an appointment for themselves. We don't make appointments for other friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that really has to be on you because you're an adult, like, you know, coming to campus, yeah. 18 and older, um, you're responsible for, for making those appointments and things. But we, we definitely encourage and, and support as best as we can appropriately and ethically um, those emails that we do get yeah now uh, how do you especially with covid times how do you get like how do you advise people to deal with um like grief like grief that of a past relative sure. i don't know if that's the right word but. It, um just someone that has has passed away mm-hmm. um so Grief is, is a really difficult thing. You know, they used to think that it went in stages and then you were done with it. But really, it's like this um, pinball machine type thing um, where you ping from anger to confusion to bargaining to, like, all these different stages um, and then back again to anger. Like, yeah. it, it just – it's nonsensical the way that it could go is because everybody's so individual. Um, so we encourage students to come in and talk about it. it depending upon what the situation is, we would refer to – you know, maybe some long-term therapy or counseling, um, you know, rely on your friends. Grief is, is so relative to the person that it's really difficult to answer that question. But we, on our, re- on our counseling center webpage, we have a lot of resources. Um, if you scroll down about midway through, you can click on our resource tab. 
and there's a lot of resources on there and even if you're having a difficult time in the moment and you are contemplating you know we haven't talked a lot about suicide but if you are contemplating suicide or if you're having this these thoughts of just not existing or not wanting to live which is not necessarily the same thing as wanting to to kill yourself then we would encourage you to, you know, contact one of the national hotlines that are on there. There's a texting hotline that I really encourage students to utilize because when you have a a difficult time and you are already depressed or anxious and you shut down to a certain point, it's hard to talk. And so just texting back and forth with a professional, which is what your generation does, you know, all day anyway, you're masters with your thumbs. So um, that's a, a pretty simplistic way. To, to get some help or to reach out or talk to somebody. So um, on our, our webpage, we, we have multiple um, crisis hotlines and numbers for, for students who are having a difficult time with grief or with suicidal thoughts or thoughts of not existing or just the depression and the anxiety are just overwhelming and the fear of coming to the counseling center. Um, one thing I do want to dispel, if, if I can for a moment, yeah, is, you're good. is that when you come to the counseling center, no one else on campus knows that you're there. Like, we don't contact professors. We don't contact your parents. We don't, we don't do any of that. Um, we are HIPAA compliant, so if we needed to contact somebody, it would only be in case um, you were going to hurt yourself or if you were going to hurt somebody else or if there was some abuse that needed to be reported because we're all man- mandated reporters. Mm-hmm. But none of your professors or classmates will know that you've come to the counseling center. Everything is strictly confidential. So um, that's one of the questions that we get a lot or a barrier that students are afraid that, oh, I don't want my professors to know or I don't want my organization to know. Um, and that's not the case at all. So I really wanted to just throw that out there that if you come to the Counseling Center, it's all confidential um, unless you're underage, um, 18 and under. And then, you know, there are some other steps that we have to take. Yeah. Now, this is another Facebook question. How common is it for... How how common is it for you to see like people trying to self medicate themselves with dr- with drugs or alcohol or and like how how do you know they're not just they're not just drinking to have fun they're they're drinking for like that kind of for like suppression of a mental illness or something Sure um it's a great question it's it's very tricky you know when students come into our office or when we zoom in with them or talk to them over the phone if if that's what ends up happening, um, we we ask, you know, when was the last time that you had this many drinks within a week period or when was the last time that you consumed marijuana in this time period? Because it's, it's important to identify whether or not the student is attempting to self-medicate. And I'm pretty, you know, what you see is what you could get. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask them point blank, like, you know, when you're drinking again, is that because you're trying to avoid and and, and that's self-medicating, or you're just drinking to have a good time, and this is just what what your norm is. Um, it's It really comes down to whether or not the client, the student, is going to be honest, because you don't know yeah. that, um, unless it comes out in conversation, you know, later on. Um, but, you know, and there are appropriate resources, um, referrals if there is alcohol or substance use or abuse. We do... Um, kind of caution students like to be wise Mm -hmm. if that's where they are leaning towards or they haven't come to that conclusion themselves like are there other ways that you can cope or have a good time or do you have to drink to nausea or do you have to drink to blackout yeah um you know just to be 
think about the choices that you're making and, and the consequences of those choices because something's going to happen for every choice you make, yeah. right? So. Now, what's, that, what's the difference between those two with, with trying to self-medicate and then just, I guess, just trying to go have fun with friends or something like that? I think the intent. I think it's, it's about the intent. If you are sitting in your room and you have a bottle of vodka and you're, you know, your uh, friends are calling and you don't want to go out, and, but you say, oh, I'm going to drink this vodka and I'm just going to stay in my apartment by myself, the intent is to, you know, potentially could be to self-medicate. Um, if you're experiencing some other depression or anxiety symptoms mm -hmm. or suicidal thoughts, um, on the other hand, if your friends are blowing you up and you have a bottle of vodka, then and you say, "Oh yeah, I've got some stuff to contribute to the party. Come pick me up," yeah. you know, um, then I think that that's different. So your intent, I think, behind the drinking or what your your ultimate goal there okay. is. Now, one thing that I don't think a lot of people think about, just because who who they are, but. I, I used to wrestle, and you used to see this a lot with, like, big weight cuts or something. And it's, like, in your opinion, what do you think about, like, the depression rate within, like, athletes and stuff? Because, like, you used to I used to lose a match or something, and, yeah, you get you get upset. You get mad at yourself because it's not a team sport. You, lo you lost that kind of thing. Within athletes, not just on college, but... Just in general, how do you think like that effect? That's a uh, effect for them. Sure, I think um, athletes. You know, I, I did some research on this, and roughly there are roughly four hundred thousand college athletes competing every year, and in high school there are roughly um, five to seven million, and that's that's a lot of. Of, of students that's a lot of young people yeah. um, and so I think that there are absolutely um, areas or pitfalls that athletes can fall into too especially the difference between single sports like track events cross-country um, although those are team there is still an individual performance mm -hmm. um, wrestling um, golf tennis those sort of things where there's still some team component but there is an individual yeah. com actually competing versus basketball or volleyball where it's more of a collective team sport on the court um, or on the floor soccer that sort of thing but I, th I think that the the research that I've done and in an understanding athletes and depression and anxiety is that there's not an identified <clears throat> from the research all the way up to 2017, there's not an identified increase in depression and anxiety um, based on performance in athletes. Um, athletics and sport in itself creates endorphins, um, which is the happy chemical yeah. in our brains. Um, you have a social network and you have support. You are integrated with other peers of like-mindedness. There's an accountability piece. Um, although you are juggling the higher stress levels of practice and, and schoolwork and passing your classes, and, and there are some things um, in addition to potential injuries or, like as you described in your wrestling, losing a match, yeah. you know, potentially that maybe you thought you were going to win or you should have won. Um, transitions, um, if you've gotten concussions, there are environmental factors that could contribute to an increase in depression or anxiety. But across the board, um, my understanding is that athletes don't just naturally have an increase in that. But again, I think that that goes back to um, 
one of the questions that you asked in the beginning, what causes the depression or anxiety? And it can be anything, you know, genetics or the environmental factors, which would be athletics or, you know, those sort of things. So Now, one thing that I, I really don't know much about, like, can you explain exactly, like, what a panic like what a, a panic attack is because anxiety it's kind of described as like a kind of like the claustrophobia kind of feeling where like it feels like the walls are kind of closing in on you and depression is more of like a you feel kind of sad kind of thing but what what happens with um like panic attacks like why is that why does that happen to people or so the way that I would describe a panic attack, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is an, a more intense reaction of the anxiety, um, kind of where the, the walls close in and there's not a way out. You have a hard time breathing. You have a racing heart, potentially sweating, um, racing thoughts. You just can't get, you can't find a way to ground yourself out of what's happening. And so you are, are, in this intense moment and you essentially wait for it to pass unless you have you know it's a prescribed and you've it's been uh, identified and diagnosed and you have med medication that kind of okay. helps with that but in the moment it's just this um, high intensity of the the walls are closing in I can't breathe my heart's racing I'm sweating I'm I'm struggling. Sometimes people, you know, kind of pass out or um, like I need, I need to sit down. I, I need to like give me a bag or something to breathe into. Um, it's, it's a very scary thing. A lot of times um, it's been described as like feeling like you're having a heart attack kind of thing. Um, it's, it's just this extra level, like you level up mm -hmm. <laughs> to the panic attack. No, is this, is this kind of just from, is this like having, is it because... Like your brain's just overloaded from that, or what? What causes this within, like, with your body? What causes this to happen? Sure, I think that's a that's a good way um, to kind of say that overloaded. I think ultimately it's relative to the person what what is going to cause the panic attack to onset, um, but it's just the just the intensity of the anxiety. It just has naturally increased, increased, increased. So you're kind of vision field is collapsing on what's what's wrong or the problem and you're just so honed in on it that you're just you're essentially just kind of freaking out mm -hmm. or you know that you can't get a grasp on on this it's just too big yeah. Yeah. now how can people that are dealing with depression and anxiety how or other forms of that how can they get get help where can they go for that for depression and anxiety yeah um, well, here on campus, I would really encourage students to come to the Counseling Center. Um, we do an initial consultation, and then from there, if the need is greater than what the services are that we can provide here on campus, we have multiple community referrals um, that take insurance or don't take insurance. Sometimes students are worried that they don't want their parents to know that they're seeking counseling or the parents aren't um, supportive, and so they want to you know, try to pay out of pocket or um, find a workaround with that um the they can you can find resources on the national institute of mental health nimh you can find them on the jed foundation um yeah i think that if you even just googled 
um, community resources um, Warrensburg if you are interested in receiving a list of community resources for the Warrensburg Sedalia um, Lee Summit Kansas City area we have a running list of referrals um, you can absolutely email the counseling center counseling center at ucmo.edu and request the referral list if you wanted to to do something off campus okay and I have the National Suicide Prevention Hot Lifeline right here, which is you can call 800-273-8255. And with that, I'm going to say thank you, ma'am, and have a good day, everyone.